we're just going to talk about um, because was Eugene supposed to be this weekend? Eugene was last year was the 28th. And so, yes, it was supposed to be this weekend um, again, that 27th, 29th. That yeah, and then the weekend of FBO. So yeah, it would exactly. have been would have been this weekend. So we're gonna talk about your last year's um UG marathon, but also like you know the format, we're gonna talk about all things Tony Tomsich getting up to uh getting you on the start line to Eugene to put yourself in the position to have the race that you did. Because the race doesn't just happen. You didn't just show up. No, it's a uh, uh, years and years of build up for that. Yeah, yeah. So Everybody, today's episode, the one and only Strava Art. You're rebranding yourself as a Strava artist. Something like that. Something that keeps myself busy right now. How'd you, how'd, you, how'd you program the last one? The rocks in the boat. Um, I had I'd been looking at the, the boat for a while. Um, there are just some unique features in that, in that little, I think it's Valley Drive or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I always wanted to yeah to draw the boat out but that's not really a piece of art in itself and so i had to figure out a way to to add to it to make it something creative and then you added a lot to it (laughs) the next thing i knew it was going to turn into a a decent sized long run and so um yeah it's fun i got uh kate came out on the bike with me and we we had a wonderful sunday morning just cruising the streets back and forth and making the odd turn here or there yeah and that was actually that was probably the most important the impressive part of it is the scale of it and also the speed of it it was a 20 mile run at like 402 a kilometer like like you weren't dicking around you were getting work done but yeah yeah, so obviously you had to plan it before did kate have the map um so how'd that how the how the navigating go um so I just, I genuinely like looking at maps. Maps are, maps are great. I'm a map guy myself too. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I will go down a rabbit hole. Like I will be looking at some of my athletes runs and whatnot and I'll be like, Oh, that's where they ran. And the next thing I know, I've looked at the whole coastline along where they, where they could have run. And, and so I just, um, yeah, I like the side of navigation and looking at where, where things are and that kind of stuff and so um naturally just um looking for looking at this Strava art projects as as something to to be a bit creative with that and so when I when I do these up I yeah I spend a decent chunk of time just drawing the route back and forth and finding things and so with that I have a pretty good sense of the area and I don't think I can do like the last couple that I've done purely by memory, but for the most part, I know where I am and I know what I'm doing. And so I have a, I have a sheet of paper that I took take with me for the occasional time where it's like, Oh, I need to turn on sixth Avenue instead of seventh and, and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, Kate's had, Kate had a map on in her phone that she referred to back occasionally, but um, for myself, I, yeah, I just, mainly mainly memorize it and then then have a few notes for myself well you're two weeks running now uh i i I, it's you do it you do it anymore people are going to start expecting something from you here so are you are you going to keep are you going to keep it going i think so Um, it's fun and you're clearly getting good training from it 
So. Exactly. I mean, especially, especially if I can just do it once a week, have it be a long run where it, yeah, can be a decent chunk of time out there. And um, I think one of the other fun aspects of it is it takes me into neighborhoods and into streets that I otherwise wouldn't be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, last weekend I was looking around at some of the houses that um, are up in that, oh, what is it, between Granville and 16th Avenue. And there's some really, really nice houses up there and it's a whole different world. And so, Shaughnessy. Um, Yes, Shaughnessy. Yeah, that's like, that's old money up in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And so early houses um, up there. And so, yeah, it is, um, it's part of the adventure of it as well. So it's, it's fun. And I think I'll definitely continue to do it, especially while we're all, all in lockdown and the long runs don't need to be anything too serious. And I'm going to avoid the, avoid the seawall and the parks where there's, too many people anyway so there you go it's win 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 exactly I, I like it i like it yeah look forward to seeing what's next but anyways that's strava let's talk let's yep. talk let's talk eugene marathon so yep. we're gonna make our way to eugene but let's talk about let's talk about younger tony because you, you you you're fairly new to the marathon distance um yep. you you know you're a track guy miler of sorts uh you've done some You've had some success on the trails. Uh, so let's talk about, let's talk about young Tony. Yeah. Let's talk about Tony as a, as a young lad. Where was your entrance into the sport of endurance running? So my, I need, my I need earliest memory. Specific day. No, no, Ooh. no, go. Just I'm, go. Go with the earliest memory. I was joking. All right. <laughs> I got two earliest memories. One was in sixth grade and we had gym class and you had the mile run yeah and every year we would get super excited about it and um but for some reason i still thought it was cool to to run it in in jeans and a pair of tennis shoes and so i think i remember specifically like where it was um i remember that i ran six minutes and 20 seconds and then it was like third fastest in the school and and all that um (laughs) and so yeah that was definitely one of the entry points in the running um the other definitely was had a lot of friends that were um into endurance sports um grew up in i grew up in fairbanks alaska and so there was um a lot of winter sports so cross-country skiing um there was mountain biking i mean there's not a whole lot else to do there you either are active or you sit inside and and don't do a whole lot. Um, So a lot of my friends did things like that and I joined along for the ride. And, and I think even very early on um, the sports and being active was something that I really enjoyed. And a lot of that was because of the the social component of it and being out there with, with some friends. Um, And then, yeah, just over the years kind of, developed myself as an athlete and had some had some breakthroughs some lucky moments where things clicked really well and I was like hey this is this is fun this is something that I can can do more of and and continue to enjoy so that's kind of the no such thing as a lucky moment in distance running man you gotta work (laughs) you gotta you gotta work for those lucky moments that's something I always like this like 
with certain sports, like say like a, a golf or a basketball or if you go there all day, no matter how crappy you are, eventually you're going to get the, the ball through the hoop. Eventually it's going <laughs> to happen. Right. But with distance running, you're not going to get on the line and accidentally run a, you know, a four minute 1500. That's just, you, it's never, it's never going to happen by chance. You have to go out there and work for it. So there are lucky circumstances, but you got to put yourself into position to capitalize on them. Yeah. And I think some of those are things that we, we don't necessarily do on purpose as a kid. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about this the other day that I, to be able to play soccer with my friends growing up, I had to bike six or seven miles to get to the soccer field to, to do that. And that was bike there and then bike home. Yep. And so always, always very active as a kid. And I think that then translated into, um, being decently aerobically fit that then translates into running. So yep. lucky in the sense of there, there are things that I did, but maybe without the innate purpose that we now look at as training for running. Yeah. And, and that's what they always say, right? As you're a kid, don't specialize, just, just be active, just be a, just be an athlete and you're going to kind of, something will come to the surface kind of naturally rather than forcing it. Um, yeah. And I was the same way as a kid, like I was just, out all the time because we didn't have the internet we just we just had outdoors and i had older and i was i had four, i had three older brothers so i never got nintendo time because they would bully me off it so i'd go play outside with my friends but uh so uh when it went pardon you ended up being the accomplished athlete out of it all there we go my oldest brother was pretty good but i ended up being the fastest of the bunch also the tallest because i got more sunlight i think but uh who knows <laughs> uh so when did, when did the sport become something serious to you and something you, you, you know, you, you took, you took time to carve out of it and it became, I feel like it becomes serious when it's, when it stops being all fun and you realize there's an element of work involved and you have to take commitments and sacrifices. So when did that shift have to get made? I think again, there were, there are two major jumps there. One was um, adjusting to, being yeah being a high school athlete right so you have yeah. your cross country seasons your track seasons uh that were yeah you're still part of a team you're still part of your friends that kind of thing but there were then races and those had um those were opportunities to to shine and to to prove yourself a little bit and so um i definitely over the years of high school recognized that um yeah that some hard work there I could, I could do something special. And, um, I fortunately had some really great high school coaches who helped me along. Um, and, but at the same time, Alaska winters are pretty tough. And so, so I've heard, so year round running wasn't really a thing. And so, yeah, I'd play soccer in the summer, I'd ski in the winter, that kind of thing. And, and running was still a, a seasonal thing, but I made the most of, um, the chances that I had during during those seasons and then the next big shift was when I went to college and realized well this is this is a year-round activity that I can be doing and and not only that a, a lifestyle right it's it's not just about oh I'm gonna go run for an hour a day it's I'm gonna make sure I get my nine hours of sleep I'm gonna be hydrated all day um, I might give up a few other activities to make sure I'm rested for my next workout, those kinds of things. And so 
I think there have been many yeah steps along the way that have have made it to what it yeah what it is now like a full-on lifestyle right yeah i guess it's it's yeah it'd be, it'd be it's too hard to go from zero to 100 right you got to chip away chip away chip away i find that with a lot of athletes yeah you, you hit a certain threshold and then you either you got to keep moving forward or you kind of that's that's where you are right and obviously to get to a certain level you got to keep pushing keep pushing keep pushing but you can't skip skip you can't skip steps also otherwise you get hurt or burnt out or disillusioned we, we yeah. see it all, we see it all the time with I, I love getting new athletes who are enthusiastic and excited because sometimes they want to start on step five and you're like well let's let's go to step one for three months or like this is this is underwhelming uh <laughs> i don't know if i could like running at all and you're like all right yeah, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there that you take care of first. And I think, and I think too, you have to make sure you, you develop something that's sustainable and enjoyable, right? Yeah. Like if you find out that, oh, I don't actually like to go run for two hours on Sunday, well, you're not going to be in the sport for very long. Yeah. And so um, developing those basics of like, how do I make this fun? How do I make this something enjoyable? And I think that's something that I did throughout high school, throughout early years of, of being active that um, was just, yeah, finding ways to enjoy it and to, um, to make the most of it all. Yeah, get the brick in the legs, that's Sully. So when you went to Western Washington University, down there in Bellingham. Did you go specifically to run or were you there for other reasons and you joined the team? I went to run. Um, you went to run? Yeah. I Sometime probably junior year of high school, I kind of realized, you know what, this is, this is something I want to continue to do. Um, that's, again, great coaches that advised me. I'm like, hey, this, this is something you can do in college. It can be a really positive thing. Um, and I think the, I remember very specifically one of the coaches like, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of athletes that have gone to, to big programs, to division one programs that have said, have just burnt out of it. Right. Yeah. They went there, they got put through the ringer and um, for whatever reason, just didn't, didn't continue on with the sport. And so I think in a way I took a little bit of a conservative approach and found a smaller school that, um, that I was excited about. I had some family that was in Seattle. And so just finding an environment that made sense and Western Washington was that. And so um, I remember going and being like, all right, I'm, I'm about to get thrown to the wolves and there's going to be a ton of really fast athletes here. And I'm just going to have to kind of survive and, and make the most of it for a little bit and, and see how much, how, how it goes. Nice. And yeah, it was, it was pretty much everything that I expected. Um, there was a lot of, um, a lot of really good athletes there at the time. There were a couple other incoming, we had probably one of the biggest freshman classes that they had had in a while that year. And so a lot of, a lot of good competition. Um, and it was, it was fun to be a part of it. Um, the program, especially it always has been, is, was very open, very welcoming. So I think there were 25 guys on the team and that kind of thing. And so again, that 
that camaraderie, that social aspect was, was ever present. Yeah, that's wicked. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. You, you go back to talking about like finding the proper program. You see it all the time. The kids come through high school, they have a whole lot of potential, but they just go to the, ro- the wrong program for whatever reason. It's not a good fit for them and they never hear from them again. Yeah. Uh, so having that proper fit is so important. I think, I think I saw a stat that like in the United States uh, for females, like, like only one girl who has won Foot Locker has carried on her career. There's obviously lots of circumstances, but carried on her career to actually make the Olympics from there. Right. Yeah. It's like, so being like a young phenom does not guarantee success because you got the talent, you have the talent, you have the physical talents, but there's so many more elements. And part of it is having a program that's going to foster your development. Cause during these years, you're finding yourself as a person, right? Like there's so many other development things happening around your running. So it's, yeah, having that. And then having this social group of people, you are like, these are my teammates are also my friends. So like, yeah, like I had the same experience in university. It was like, these guys are, this is my, this is my tribe for the next five years of my life type thing. And you make yeah. these really good bonds and it's nice to find a good situation like that. So during your time at Western Washington, let's pick out uh, two were two of the highlights and one challenge you had to overcome while you were there. Oh, um, so I know I, one of your, I would, I know one of your highlights. That's why I want to know two. Cause I want to know what the other one is. <laughs> Now I'm, I'm curious which one you, you're, you're taking there. Um, so highlights, I, I definitely had a good first couple of years. Um, even my freshman year, I was going to be redshirted and then was fourth on the team at, um, at our home meet. And so they pulled my redshirt and said, we're going to race you at the championship races. Nice. And that was, that was really cool. Um, and then the following winter um we had as a team we had a big breakthrough and that was that we put together a dmr team and qualified for ncaa division two um indoor nationals and that was the first time that we had sent um distance athletes in a while what what leg were you i ran the mile um the anchor ran the anchor leg and um that was that was a race that i will never forget um it it was in boston the reggie lewis center which is one of the faster tracks out there and i remember getting the baton i was in i think i was in fourth place at the time and um there's a small little pack around it and so here i was like this semi-nervous freshman or sophomore I was like, all right, just settle into a race, kind of latch on to somebody. And I did that for probably the first half of the, half of the race. And then it was just feeling good. And so I started to pick it up and was able to pass a couple people and was closing in on the leader in the last, last 100 meters, um, which was pretty cool to then to finish second in that race. And, and we came in, I think, seated like 10th or 12th, something like we made a big jump and that was, was that second at nationals yeah wow that's a big run so yeah so um it was yeah it, one of those moments when you realize like it this is this is legit this is a ton of fun and and to again it, it was it was a relay and so there was four of us there and we all got to celebrate it yeah. together and so um that's something that we still like look back on and message each other like on, on the year of like 
or the year anniversary of it and be like, oh, I remember 10 years ago when this happened. It's cool. That is fantastic. Um, and then I parlayed that the indoor season and the outdoor season um, and had another big breakthrough and was um, fourth in the 1500 um, at outdoors. So that was my, my big kind of breakthrough year and, and a lot went really well. The, the wait challenge. Wait you, were, you, were, you were fourth at outdoor nationals? Uh, yeah. I didn't know D that. Division two NCAA. Yeah. Well, I knew, I knew, I knew it was D two, but still, it's like you got Adam State, you got Western State, you got, you got, you got some really, really fast runners in D two. Good job. Well done. Yes, yeah, I didn't know that. It was um, all American. It was two, Adam, two Adam State State guys and a Colorado School of Mines guy that beat me in the fifteen hundred. Yeah, the Mines were good too. They got they they they. Coach Seamers was really good there. Now he's at CSU. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fast. Good job, Tony. You got a kick on you. Yeah, so I I did for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously that year went really well. I was super pumped, excited. Um, and then I went into that summer and, and just continued to, to push, to continue to train, did a lot of local road races. And by the end of the summer, I had some pretty bad Achilles issues. Um, and that... <sighs> that was probably my biggest challenge throughout college is just that I had those persisted and probably is a good year before I was able to really race again. I think, um, I think at the time I, I had some, um, just didn't get the proper medical support. And yep. um, I think, Injuries is, it's a physical thing, but it's also a mental thing. And I think I took that to heart a lot. And so um, I think jumping forward a little bit, like this Eugene and Mar the marathon and et cetera, this, that was like the first time that I really realized a big goal. And prior to all that, I had a lot of these big goals as well that just never clicked. And a lot of that was because I kept pushing and kept, um, yeah, essentially kind of putting my self-worth on the line there. And I think mm -hmm. both physically and mentally, that was a major, um, major downfall. And so, yeah, that next year and a half was, was kind of a struggle um, and a challenge that definitely had to, had to overcome. And, but I, I had a good team, good team around me. Um, we lived in a house of runners. There was, 10 of us in the house granted it was separated out into like two apartments mm -hmm. but at the same time it was like yeah all 10 of us in that house and played games and whatnot all the time and so again coming back to that that social yep. component that camaraderie that running has always been there been there for me yeah so. and that, i mean I, I feel like that's kind of a story I, I mean at some point every single runner is gonna encounter injury like it's it's kind of the name of the game. It's it's weird. It's a sport where you expect to get injured at some point um, because you got to push yourself into. And we're also very stubborn people, and we'll sometimes take it'll take a while to admit that we're hurt or to take the proper yeah. time off. It's just we're all guilty of it, right? Um, so in overcoming that injury, it's so hard because you got to be so. And Achilles sucks. Achilles hurts. Um, so while you were injured. Um, 
at any time during your career, what does your rehab slash cross training protocol look like? Obviously different injuries will lend to different types of cross training, but do you have cross training that you kind of lean into a little bit if you, if you have to supplement your running? Um, I definitely have spent my fair share of time cool running. I do. I don't, I don't want to say I enjoy it, but like it is my go-to when I'm, when I'm banged up. Um, I definitely spent some time on the bike as well. Um, and yeah, again, just that active, active lifestyle, like it's yeah. fun and whatever, simple enough. I probably didn't, especially early on when I, yeah, when I didn't know a whole lot, I didn't do enough of the like physio type exercises and strength work. That's probably strength work in general is one of my probably biggest regrets. If I go back to high school, I definitely remember times when I was like, strength running is going to make, or doing strength training is going to make me, make me slow because I'm going to get too big and bulky and, and that. And now I wish, yeah, I had actually done that and, and had the, um, develop the stability and the, the power and the strength and, and so forth. And so, um, it's something now when I'm, when I have, uh, issues that come up, I realize, yep, gotta, gotta take care of it in this way. And I think that's something that, um, I didn't do enough of in prior when I was, when I was banged up. Oh yeah. I was the exact same way in university. Like we're going to go to the gym. Like, why would you go to the gym? Why don't I just run? Why don't I just run more? Can I just run instead? And I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And 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 that a lot of times, I mean, I don't want to pass the blame, but like you need someone to be like, hey, this is why you have to do it. We're not like we're not doing it just for the sake of doing it. Here's the reasons why we're doing it. A lot of it is injury prevention. It's like you're not going to try to go. We're not going to the weight room so you can learn how to bench press 200 pounds. We're going to the weight room so you can go and run a four minute mile and not break in half while you're doing it type thing. But it's, yeah, it's, it's learning as you go, as you go. So you graduate from university. Um, yeah. You are, so next steps from there. Obviously, at some point you end up in Vancouver. Uh, so after university, you know you're going to continue to run. Where's your mind at? Where's your head at in terms of both life and running? Because there's yeah. big decisions that have to be made. And this is kind of like the second wave of where people fall out of the, fall off the face of the earth of this sport, right? You got people um, who are good, good in high school. They get to university, and something happens, and you lose them. And then you have people who survive their university years. And then a lot of people just nature's taking its course. It's time to move on. Other people want to keep running, but it's hard. So how do you continue your running journey? Yeah. Um, so my my last year of college was good. Um, well, it was up and down actually. Um, cross country, we got fourth as a team. And so it was a pretty high moment for that. And um, I was excited. And so I jumped into track training right away and had a good winter of training, had a good start to the indoor season and then ended up getting mono. Mono. And didn't, it didn't test for it immediately. And so I essentially tried to train through what was tearing me down. Did you get it from smooching too many girls? Uh, or just the wrong girl. Maybe. (laughs) I still don't know exactly. Anyways. Um, yeah. So the, the end of my senior year was, um, a bit of a letdown. And during that year when things were still going well, I developed this plan to, to try and go train 
and run with a club team in Europe. Oh, sweet. Um, I had always, my mom is German and I spent a lot of time there as a kid and always wanted to do a year of exchange. That never happened because of, pretty much because of running. I didn't want to give up on certain things. And so I wanted to develop this own, um, my own year of exchange kind of thing. Um, anyways, went through with that plan, got to Europe, had the club team, was living with some relatives, um, and that was good, but I just couldn't, couldn't kick some of the issues that persisted from, from the sickness. And so after, I think, six to eight months of it, I was like, this is just not working anymore. I need, I need to do something else. Mm -hmm. And so I um, was able to connect with a, a good friend of mine who was coaching back in Alaska um, at the University of Alaska Anchorage. And he, he essentially recruited me there to be a graduate assistant. And so um, spent five years there coaching at the university. Um, and that was, that was a lot of fun. I got to be around the sport, around um, those, yeah, developing athletes that, that I had, had just been. Um, and we had a good program with, um, with a good coaching staff that allowed a bit of flexibility. And so I was, ran with the team a lot, got to do workouts with them. And so throughout this time, um, yeah, just building more of a base and so forth. Um, did have some more seasons where I like tried to race and worked and then it didn't work. And, um, and so there were a few ups and downs with it, but kept, kept rolling with it. Um, and it is that where you first kind of planted the seed to be a coach? Had you wanted to be a coach before that or had you had plans yeah. with, with in, 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 in that direction of your, yeah, of your, of I, your participation I, in the sport? I wanted to be, continue to be part of the sport. It, it had throughout college it became such a big part of my lifestyle. And, um, and so I was just looking at ways to, to make that happen. And so, um, coaching seemed to be something that, um, was, was an opportunity. Um, before I, before I left for Europe, I coached at the high school level. I coached at my old high school for a cross country season, absolutely loved it. And so I think that probably planted the seed if anything. And so then it was the next, um, next path was then to jump into collegiate coaching. So wicked. And so you're in Alaska, you're coaching. What brings you, what brings you down here, man? What brings um, you to, what brings you to Canada? Yeah. So summer wedding from one of my really good friends, um, at Western Washington. Um, I ended up meeting his cousin and we hit it off at the wedding and, um, yeah. And then started, started dating. And, um, so we dated for long distance for a couple of years and she, oh, tough, here. Tough. yeah, <laughs> not easy. Um, but she, she grew up here in, in Vancouver and, um, and was, as when we met, she was just starting her PhD program. And so she knew she was going to be there for a while. Yeah. She literally just finished like a week ago. Yeah. <laughs> and so now, um, or then I, decided it was probably a good thing to be in the same place and so packed everything up and moved to Vancouver and figured yeah I'll find a way into into running there yes and you did which is yeah. great because during your time in Vancouver obviously you happened to move right around the corner 
in its Lano neighborhood, connected with, uh, with, with Dylan and myself. And long story short, you are now a vital, integral role to mile marathon coaching. But also, you had your own running journey that had still was still developing. Uh, obviously, we know your success at the shorter distances. So, how did the marathon come to be part of? You know, how did the how did you take the path into the marathon? Yeah, um, I mean, the marathon is is something that you anytime you're a runner or whatever, like it's it's something that's always out there, right? Like, and especially when you're coming from a yeah, track background or shorter distances it seems like this this kind of like holy grail that's way up there and it's like oh I'll never do that but it sounds really cool and, and then you start to kind of dig into it and you watch the watch the races online and and hear of or end up running with people that have run any number of marathons and so um is something that was in the back of my mind that yeah one day I'll definitely give it a go um and the friend of mine that actually recruited me to Anchorage he he also put in a good word for it at one point was like yeah you should you should give this a go you you like running you like doing the long runs (laughs) you Um, like running for the marathon (laughs) yeah and so at some point um when I was in the last couple of years that I was in Anchorage, I said, yeah, I got to do one before I turn 30. And that was right as I was moving to Vancouver. And so I signed up for uh, California International and ran that in 2016, which was the fall that I moved to Vancouver. And yeah, those first few months in Vancouver is, um, yeah, in the Kitsilano area. And there weren't, yeah, it's a great place to run and great place to log miles. And and so it's kind of bodes itself for, for marathon training and then having yourself and Dylan and um, the other, plenty of other members of the running community around it, just, it's um, made for a good training environment. Yeah. Let's give it, let's give some shout outs. I know you do a lot of training with Evan Elder. Um, yeah. Who, who else were you training with during those times? So Evan, Evan ran CIM that year as well. Uh, we connected a couple weeks before the race and did a couple last minute workouts. And, um, he, yeah, he destroyed me on those workouts. And I was like, Oh, this, this might, this might be a real challenge. Um, yeah. Uh, those early days, I, I did a decent amount of running as well with, um, Brian Andrews. Um, and yeah, I'm, I ran with you quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. Otherwise, can't really. Yeah. Anyways, anyways. So you go to CIM, um, first marathon, first marathon experience. You run. How was the experience? I ran two twenty six. Um, pretty good. Pretty conservatively. Um, I, again, when I got into it, I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna crush hundred mile weeks, and <laughs> and that's the only way to to prepare for a marathon. And um, and so after six of those, I was broken. And so I had to take, had to take a few weeks off and um, kind of reset. And then I was able to do just enough to, to get myself to the start line. And so with that in mind, I was like, let's just finish this and see if I actually like running this far. Um, and so, yeah, I had a great experience. It was a lot of fun and, um, and ran it competitively enough that it, uh, yeah, gave me, gave me some intrigue. 
And I think that's where the kind of the birth of this whole Olympic trials qualifier started. And it's like, okay, that's seven, seven and change minutes away. Like that's just within the realm of possibility. So I've got, what, that was 2016. So I had three and a half years at that point to, to go and chase the mark. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, kind of started to devise a plan of, of running three marathons in the span of two, two and a half years to, to give it a shot. And if I couldn't do it within that, then, then it wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going to happen. So that's kind of sets the, sets the scene for what we're working towards here. So obviously I know along the way you continue to develop, you continue to work, you, you went and took a shot in Berlin. Um, you ran another two, you ran 226 in Berlin too, right? I did as well. The painful um, way. Yeah, the painful way. No, I came no, through. no two same, mil- the, the time looks similar, but the experience is worlds apart, eh? Yeah, I came through, I think, half, five minutes faster than I did the the first time. And it was only like three or 4K after that, that things started to fall apart. And to this day, I don't really know what went wrong. I just started cramping and things just weren't clicking. And so I was really glad that I finished that race. Um, I think it taught me a lot about what the race is and, and how to, how to manage pain and how to manage um, when things are not going well. But yeah, it was, it was an experience for sure. (laughs) So I mean, I I always laugh hearing about marathon horror stories because I've experienced so many myself. Where I'm just like, yep, yep, marathons are friggin' hard, uh, but they're never easy to get. And and that's the thing. In some days, you just don't know what the heck happened. You're like, I have no idea what happened. It's just a bad day. But anyway, so this sets you up. Um, coming into Eugene last year, it's an opportunity. You know, you're you're getting low on opportunities, getting low on time. Uh, so Eugene's in April what's your training looking like? What did you have to do? Change anything? What did you have to do to turn yourself into a 218 guy? So I, the build for Berlin went really well. I crushed a lot of the workouts. I had a lot of help from you guys, from Robin, uh, from you and from Dylan. And I felt really prepared for the race. And I think um, that Berlin itself was just an off day, but the training that I put in to that period of time was good, good work. And it, it did set the platform for it. Um, and so once, so then coming off Berlin, I was still, I had recognized all that and I was able to, to turn that energy into just keep, keep doing what I'd been doing. Um, and so I, yeah, I took a look back through, through the notes, through Strava and things really started rolling in November. Um, and from that, from then on, it was just 24 solid weeks of running. Um, I wouldn't say that it was a 24 week marathon specific build. It was just, I'm going to run for lay that base, lay a lot of good running in and just keep doing workouts. I think one thing I also did was it raced a lot during that time. Um, whether it was the, yeah, the random eight K in in Victoria or whether it was, um, yeah, first half or sun run or all those. I just, 
I kept racing and none of the workouts during that whole phase were, I would say phenomenal or any like major breakthroughs, but the races kept clicking and that really, um, built confidence in, in things. And so, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that there was any major shifts in the training. It was just building on what I had done in the past. Consistency, 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 for sure. And that's, and that's a lot of times is that's how the sport works. Just pile work, pile work, pile work, rest every so often, and then keep piling. Uh, during, so during that marathon build, obviously you said there was no workout that really like shot out of the page and was like, you know, this is it. But what were some examples of workouts you were doing? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I said I went through some things. Um, there was one where I ran 4 by 5 k um, That was with you and with Dylan. I remember around, that one. Ooh. Yeah, around big that Australia. And it was, it was just a really good progression through. Um, and this was, this was March-ish, I think. Um, and yeah, it just, it felt smooth the whole time and things were, were really good. Um, I had one workout that I had attempted before Berlin, um, and had failed at that point was a six by three K. Um, and this time I, I nailed it pretty good as well. Um, I have a really nice fun three K loop that I like in this area and feel comfortable on. And so I think that that obviously helps as well. And then, um, yeah, mentioning Evan Elder, he, uh, he joined me for, for a 30 K progression run. That was probably, probably the highlight workout of that build. Um, and I think I, I undersold the workout and then I overran what I, what I even had intended. And so I think we did three laps of Stanley park and after the first lap, he was, he was off the back of it. And so afterwards I feel a little bad for it, but it was, um, as a good confidence boost for myself. So he used that. <laughs> there you go. He was a sacrificial lamb for you that day. Yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, you got to be mentally and physically prepared. And sometimes you feel good just beating up on somebody has to happen. Uh, so, and then, yeah, going one more thing about the, the whole build was, it was like I was saying with none of the workouts jumped off the page. One of the other things was I kept, the whole cycle, I had a few, yeah, had a few bumps in it. I got sick a couple times. I had rolled my ankle like three weeks out and just kept having these little, little issues, but I kept managing them well. And so again, I just like, I knew that I was building fitness over time. And so I think it, looking back on it is a really important point that a training cycle doesn't need to be perfect. Like we yep. you don't have to hit every workout um, on the money, like nailed to the paces that you need. And even, even on the days that you need them, right? Like you can, you can push things out a little bit and give yourself space because it is just as important to hit the workouts as it is to, um, to, to nail your recovery, right. To be able to get from one session to the next. And so, um, I think if I looked at my, my younger self and had seen the cycle and I would have had a lot more of the, um, I had a lot more doubt in it. Right. And it's like, Oh, I, I didn't get the session in today. The whole cycle is, is gone. Mm -hmm. Whereas 
I think I was now mature enough to, to recognize, you know, take that day off, take two days off, rest up, get yourself ready for the next one and everything's going to be just fine. So I think that was a big kind of underlying theme of, of Eugene. And that's, that's like such good advice for any athlete to take, right? It's so many, where a lot of times we're all like in our own minds, we're only as good as our last run. And, you know, it's like, you have to take two days off all of a sudden everything's gone. But then you're like, no, it's like, you got years of work in your legs. And sometimes you may become a little un, you know, you may dull, but you just need a few sharpeners. You're good to go. So yeah. And that's, that's good. Managing, managing setbacks in a mature and, you know, smart way, not an emotional way. Um, so you get, you get ready to go to Eugene. Um, what's that weekend look like? Obviously it's, it's a bit of a haul. What is it like a seven, eight hour drive from here? You and Kate drive down. Yeah. Um, I drove down, Kate was busy. Um, and so I picked up a, a really good friend of mine in, um, Seattle. He was a college teammate of mine for a year, then lived in Anchorage with me for a couple of years. Um, and then we both left Anchorage at the same time. He went in the Peace Corps for two years in Mozambique and then, um, he had just returned. And so he was just coming down to cheer the, the whole, there was a good contingent from mile to marathon that was coming down of athletes. And so, um, again, yep. And again, I just excited to go down as a, as a group, um, and, and to, again, bring that, that social communal feel to, to the weekend, to the race. And so, um, drove down with the friend of mine and then we rented an Airbnb with a couple other friends of mine that flew down from Alaska, as well as people that drove from Oregon and Washington. So made it, made it a big party, right? A big event. Absolutely. So fitness is good. Confidence is there. Vibes are, vibes are on point. Uh, what do you, what do you, what's your go-to pre-race meal? That's people always want to know, man. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's, it's chicken and rice and maybe some light vegetables. Um, yeah, I just pretty much spend those like 48 hours before making whatever sounds good and, and going through it. I don't, and pretty much always chicken and rice sounds good to me. <laughs> pretty simple. It doesn't, doesn't upset the stomach. Um, and yeah. There you go. And that thing, right? It's again, it's, it's what works for you and what you're comfortable with doing. Uh, so race day comes. What time's race guy will go off at? Oof. I do not remember now. I want to say it was like an eight o'clock start. It yes. wasn't, it wasn't crazy early, but early enough. Um, so it was, yeah, carry chilly. On, sorry. yeah, it was, it was chilly, but not, um, and was going to warm up a little bit, but nothing, not bad at all. So you wake up on race day. How do you feel? I felt pretty good. Um, we had a decent plan the, the day before we had a little meeting, whatever the, um, elite meeting or whatever it was. And, and they, there were a few other people that were also going after that 219 performance, that range. And, um, so I felt confident and that there would be enough people around and, 
so we um, would all be kind of working towards the same thing. And so on race day, it was just get up, take care of, take care of the little things that we needed to. Um, and then there was the start finish was in the same spot. And there was a decent amount of parking around it. Um, we had coordinated for, um, for the elites, but also for mild marathon to get into, um, yeah, the, there was like a, a space inside the stadium that we'd blocked off. And so that was really nice to just kind of go there and, and rest, um, throw the feet up for a minute and then before heading out for a warm up. And yeah, warm up felt smooth, felt springy, all those good things that you want going into a race. What's warm up look like for a marathon for you? Uh, not too standardized. It's just 10, 15 minutes of easy running, do a few stretches, do a few drills, that kind of thing. Just make sure I'm taking care of all the little things. Yeah. Yeah. I find, uh, you know, the marathon warm up is just do enough, but yeah. don't do too much type thing. Yeah. Make, uh, all right. Make so, your body feel warm. Yeah, exactly. Um, all righty then. So now we're down to it, man. We are, we're on the start line. Um, they play the star spangled banner. Probably. I'm assuming they do that. If you're in America, they're yep. going to be like, I mean, they do it in Canada too, right? It's, it's nothing wrong with being patriotic. Uh, so gun goes, uh, you get off the line. Um, it's, I, I always find the first mile, two miles of a marathon. It's you, you never, ever know what's going to, how your legs are going to feel. I've had races where I've gone. I'm like this, Oh, this today's the day. And I've had other days. It's like, I think that I forget to train what's going on here. So how, how do you feel? right off the bat, so the, the memory that I have from right off the bat was that the half and the full started at the same time. And I didn't expect as many, um, as many half runners to be there as there were. And so I probably had a good 25, 30 people that just like bolted. And I, it didn't process for me that there was going to be this many people in front of me. And so if anything, I think I got out a little bit quicker than I had intended and I couldn't find the, the pace group that I thought I was with and, and all that kind of stuff. But after, yeah, after a good, I don't know, five, 10 minutes, it kind of settled down and found the, I had two really good friends of mine who were staying with us um, from Anchorage who were running the half. And this was part of the whole plan was they wanted to, they wanted to chase 69 minutes for themselves. That would be a PV for them and so located them and we yeah got kind of locked into a into a good rhythm it was um they they both kind of wanted to yeah it was set up so that they would help pace kind of thing yeah. but I felt pretty strong at the time and so I think I ended up doing a lot of the work of that little group but <laughs> But it was, it wasn't a good way. It was, yeah. I'm excited about being here and I'm around people that I'm really comfortable with and I've spent miles and miles running with. And so, um, yeah, things went really smoothly through there. And um, I, I remember, and I have a pretty good picture of it as well, um, that got through the first aid station, got my water bottle, um, put whatever, three quarters of it down. And then I saw, again, a, a group of friends of mine on the side cheering. And I just remember it perfectly, like, throwing it to them and them catching it. Like, it's one of those moments where, like, it 
has nothing to do with the race. <laughs> it's just you smooth. feel in such a flow kind of yeah. mode that it just kind of clicks. Yeah. And um, yeah, funny enough, somebody got a picture of the water bottle in like midair and that was, it was kind of fun. I love that. I love, you know, those little moments, they, they're, they're really cool where right? you can capture that and kind of acknowledge that and little things like that happen over the course of the race. What, what was in your bottle? So I had four bottles um, and two of them had um, noon in them and two of them had Morton in it. Um, and so I knew that I didn't have a lot out there and I thought, okay, at least, or I had a couple other gels on me. And, um, and so I, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that when I went through each station that I got enough in me. Mm -hmm. um, the part of Berlin was I thought that maybe I hadn't balanced that properly. And so that's why I went with kind of a different combination than I did for Berlin, where I had Berlin, I had all Morton and I, I never okay. had stomach issues, but I thought maybe it, it was part of the cramping issues. Yeah. It's a lot of carbohydrate, right? So, I mean, if you're, yeah. And, and, that, and that's one of those things where you got to hopefully have that locked down um and taking your fluid and taking your carbohydrate and have your nutrition so it obviously worked for you in eugene so when you're running a marathon how are you tracking your progress are you checking your splits frequently um do you have it like what faces are on your watch uh how often are you checking in to make sure you're on pace do you give yourself a little bit of a wiggle room where so say you come through 10 kilometers what what data are you paying attention to uh absolutely nothing um <laughs> so so i was saying that previously that i raced a lot in the spring throughout yeah. that cycle and one of the things that i really prided myself on throughout that was that i was just going to race to what my yeah to what my body was going to allow me on that day um to listen to that rather than to listen to the data and to avoid um, to avoid evaluating myself mid-race. And so I for for Eugene, I made a point of like, okay, I am going to um, not focus on specifically what pace I'm running. I'm just gonna go out there, feel what's comfortable. I know that there's a group that's going to be in that target pace range. So if I see them like, great, I'll latch onto them, kind of make it feel comfortable, et cetera. But I'm not going to be looking at my watch every, every mile that I come through. And so that was, that was intentional on the day. And it was something that I had practiced for the months leading up to it. And so, um, yeah, I guess, I, yeah, I didn't have anything. At that's, any. a, that's a wonderful skill to have, uh, to be able to trust your body, to be able to read your body. Like that's because at the end of the day, your body's, if your, your legs are literally running the show, right? If, if you look at your watch and say, I should be running faster. Your legs are like, screw you. We're running this pace. Then yeah. <laughs> your legs are going to win 10 times out of 10. Yeah. So, and so, I mean, it's, it's definitely can be nerve wracking, but again, if you practice it, it's, you, yeah. you do seek some comfort in it. Confidence. Well. Confidence is huge and just learning your pace and learning how your body's responding. So it was funny because we were we were following along obviously on the live tracking in yeah. Vancouver. A bunch of us we had we had the chat going. And something was 
off on the markings in Eugene because it had you coming through like the half in like, I want to say it was like 72 or something like that. Like you were mm-hmm. off pace and cause we we're all like, go Tony, go Tony. And then we saw your half split and we're like, Oh crap. Oh no. <laughs> like, like what's going on? Like we were, we were pretty bummed. It was, it was yeah. so, but in reality, what, what did your halfway actually look like? Um, so there wasn't, I don't remember seeing a clock at half. Um, but I knew way further down the road, apparently. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but I think there were with the pacer, the pacer was there through half and we all felt like, I think a couple people had checked in and were like, yes, we're on that 69 30 ish effort. Um, and so coming through half, we felt like, all right, we're on we're we have a good group of this there was a bit of that like like let's go do this like there were a couple verbalizations of people like we've got this kind of thing which was cool um and so the half split off i think 12 and a half miles or whatever and so it was very apparent then it was like all right there's a set group of four of us that are doing this and um and so yeah i come through half and just keep kind of keep ticking away um that was where things kind of started to go south in in berlin and so from then on it i kind of got in this mindset of just keep keep managing and avoid avoid doing anything that's going to cause things to blow up right and so mm-hmm. keep keep staying comfortable within within yourself and um make sure that um yeah, you just keep ticking along. So do you have, obviously, the first half of the marathon, that's the easy part, right? Yeah. Um, when things do start to get challenging and you are starting to have these questions being asked, uh, do you have go-to mechanisms to manage it? Um, is it instinctual? So, you know, like, you know, when you're doing a hard workout and you get to that fifth of the six 3Ks and things start getting tough, or you get into a, you get in the marathon, you start hitting that 27-28K, you still have a long way to go, but you're starting to like really feel the effects of the effort. Do you have, you know, do you have management coping styles or anything that you kind of fall back on or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the way that I like to describe it is they're just distractions. Right. And so I think one of the, the key things that I will do is I'll, I'll come up with little mantras that I'll say over and over to myself. And so, just internally and try and seek some kind of rhythm in that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was definitely something that I did a lot in my younger days and now kind of don't do it as frequently, but still somewhat. And then the other thing that I've done more frequently, and I think especially on the roads is focusing on running the tangents. And so just always looking at, where's that next light post? Where's the next turn? Where is that next um, thing ahead? And so always focusing on what's in front of me rather than what is, um, what is beyond the sight range, right? And I think that that helped a lot, especially in Eugene. Uh, the second half of that course is along, along a river that kind of, yeah, it, it kind of flows back and forth on a pathway. And so it made it really easy to just focus on 50 meters at a time, 
80 meters at a time, whatever, whatever the next string was. Yeah. Just run the mile you're in. Yep, exactly. And so, and then as that race played out, we, there was an aid station at 15 and that was the last one where I knew I had, um, where I had Morton, uh, the caloric beverage. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was on the verge of like, I'm not sure I got enough in so far. I need to make sure I get all of this in. Still got 10 miles to go, 11. And um, and the two of the other guys that were in the race kind of used that time to, to break away. And so they made a little bit of a move. Jerks. Yeah. I, I thought we still had a while to go as a pack, but yeah. Um, anyways, it, uh, so I spent probably a good mile with that bottle, just like making sure I got all of it down. And, and then from there it was like, all right, we've got probably 50 meters between the three of us. And that provided another really good distraction of like, all right, just keep chasing those guys. And, and need, nobody was running significantly faster than the other. So it was, um, so it was something that we could just, um, so I could keep looking forward. Yeah. Yeah. Just something to focus on, right. Something. And that's, I feel like that point of the race. Yeah. Your, your attention span is getting shorter and shorter. So you need to just occupy yourself. Cause like early race, you're like, let's make it to 5k. Cool. Now let's go to 10k. And later on the race, you're like, let's make it to that corner. Let's make it to that leaf. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you come through 20 miles. Um, yeah. I'm so assuming was- things are starting to get pretty challenging. What, yeah. what did the last four or five miles? Cause you know, you're close, right? You know, it's like, you didn't leave yourself a whole lot of wiggle room. So like, what's going, what's going on through your body? What's going on through your mind? How do you keep fighting? How do you keep pushing? Um, obviously you're fit. So your body can, you, you've prepared yourself to be there, but like those last three or four miles in the marathon are just, yeah. Talk, talk us through that. So 20 miles was the first time that I saw a clock and it was also one of the benchmarks that I had actually set. I thought, okay, if I'm at a certain mark um, at 20 miles, I know that I've got a chance at this. And so I came through it and either I read it wrong or I had done my calculations wrong, but I thought I was faster than I actually was. I thought I had like a minute and change buffer built up. Instead, it was just that change. Um, (laughs) And so again, I just kind of kept going with that mentality of like, I just have to keep doing what I have been for the last chunk of time. And I don't need to change anything about that um, in order to, um, to hit the goal that I want to. And so from there, um, yeah, I just kept chasing those couple guys that were in front of me. One of them started to fade back a little bit that was about mile 21, 22 is when I ended up catching it, catching him. And I remember him turning to me and he's like, Oh, what pace are we on? It's like, I don't know, but it's going to be close. And I like gave him a, a word of encouragement. Like, let's, let's go do this together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, but unfortunately like, yeah, 800 meters later, he was, he was off, off of us. Yeah. He had the gorilla, gorilla jumped on his back. Exactly. And so, um, at that point just kind of kept rolling and 
So the second half, as I was saying with the course, it was on this river path and it was pretty quiet. The half halfers were gone and um, the front pack of the race was thinned out. And I had three of my really close friends, including Kate's cousin, the one that introduced us a while back, they were on bikes trailing me. And I, like, they were obviously really excited, but they weren't going to say anything about what pace we were on, what effort, or like, but yeah. I could hear whispers and I could hear them like kind of talking about it. <laughs> and so, um, and so having them there provided that kind of comfort. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, it was just keep managing, just keep managing. And it was probably t- until I got to mile 24, there was this little 180 um, weird, like cul-de-sac that we had to turn around. And I remembered picking that out on the course and thinking, oh, why, why did they go? That's cruel. Down That's this? so cruel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I remember getting to that point. And I was like, okay, from there, it's, it's, it's only whatever it was, two miles or yeah. less to go. That's where I really need to go. And I turned that corner and there's just, just enough of a gust of wind that I was like, oh, this is going to start to hurt. And those, those last two miles is when things started to get serious. And so um, I think a little bit later, I looked down at my watch and saw the, like, the current pace, or not current pace, the pace of the run, the entirety of the run. And it said 518, which is spot on with what you're supposed to hit for, for 219. And so I was like, okay, this, this is legit close. I've really got to dig <laughs> a little bit. So um, I knew it's kind of twisty turny again through the river area and it got to about a mile ago and I saw um, there was three or four mile to marathoners who had either run the half or um, were there just spectating. And I remember seeing them and I, I, thought I acknowledged them I thought I did but afterwards they were like you just gave us the like meanest like look like you look like you were in so much pain and I was like that's so like maybe I just don't remember yeah so anyways um yeah at that point it was just kind of all systems go to to try and get to get it done um and I think the last the last mile was interesting and I knew it was going to be it it had some potential challenges because the half course came back onto it because there was a joint finish and it was there were some narrow spots to it and so I think that again provided a little bit of a distraction of like all right I just got to navigate this make sure I don't run into anybody running the half I make sure that I it loops kind of oddly around the stadium and then down this ramp onto the field. This so was like, okay, the ramp's steep. You're going to hit the field and hopefully you don't fall like all these little things. <laughs> and so, um, one of, one of my friends that was on the bikes behind me, like throughout that last mile was just like, they let him all the way through. And so he just <laughs> yelling at me like, dude, you've got to go, you've got to go. And, and so, um, I, yeah, I mean, it was just everything that I had left in me. That's and, the worst. That's the worst to hear. Then you gotta go. It's like I'm going. Like, yeah. what, what, like I'm even going. <laughs> what else do you want me to do? But, yeah. Um. So, anyways, I 
the other part of it that Berlin, when I ran that, the GPS was off. It was like showed up as 26.4 yeah. And so with road races, I know there's that little bit of error, et cetera. Yeah. And so until I came down onto the field and could see the finish line, I wasn't sure if, if it was going to happen or not. But that moment that I did like, and recognized that, all right, it's 50 meters to go. I've got 20 seconds to make that. I can do that. And, <laughs> and from that moment, it was just like, yeah, I probably put my hands up already and like celebrated those last, last 50 meters. And, um, that was, yeah, that was truly an amazing moment and really was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I love those moments because they're so rare in the sport. Was that be one of the best 50 meters you've ever run in your life? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's so it's. And, and too, like so often the last 50 meters is you've still got something to go. Like yeah. at least then I like, if I ran 218, 47 or 49, it didn't matter. And so all I had to do was stay on my feet. And so like that sense of relief was already there, but I also was, was going towards, towards reaching this, this ultimate goal. Yeah. Every second matters, but, uh, whip out the whip out a little bit of the celebration yeah. a little bit of the celly yeah. oh man so you, you cross the finish line uh initial sensations um hands on knees celebration like like you crossed the line you've done it you've reached your goal uh where's your head at um yeah i mean total just cloud nine and i think the best part about it was that two of my friends who had run the half we're still in that finish area. They came over, were there with nice. me, congratulated me. The people that were on the bikes followed me down as well and were able to get into the, the finish area. One of them called Kate and like was able to share that moment with her as well. And so I think so often when we get to a finish line, especially in, in bigger races, we feel alone because there's no one else yeah. around there that we do really know. But this experience was was different in that I was able to celebrate it with, um, with really close friends of mine, people that had been there for, for so much of it. And then, um, so I ended up finishing second and the other guy that was there, like, it was fun to be able to celebrate that with him also, like totally didn't know him, but like just yeah. giving each other uh, hugs and like just genuine excitement for each other. The finish line yeah. of a race is, the happiest place on earth yeah. for the most it's, it's, it's a bunch of robots walking around because nobody can move but everyone's just so they're so happy to be there yeah exactly and so then um slowly made myself made my way out of the finishing area and into kind of other parts of the stadium area or whatever and uh a good teammate or good friend of mine teammate from college um he was there with his wife had run the half and he like he did this fun little like interview for some of the friends of mine, and he actually did that as well at, at the U.S. Trials the um, couple months ago or whatever, and that was just really cool because it it's like the only real snippet of like that moment. Like you don't mm -hmm. you don't tend to, to capture those, yeah, um, because it's just it's all on and like you're lucky to get a couple pictures, um, but to get yeah a little bit of a a chat with um 
with some video is 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 fun and and to be able to share that with people to to share that excitement so uh, um so yeah it was i mean just a, an awesome awesome time afterwards yeah sounds like a good day yeah yeah i, I that's one I, I just love it just it's nice when a plan comes together right especially being able to see the work and commitment and having so much on the line like getting that spot at the trials like that race in eugene is a race you'll never forget but it also provided you with have another experience at the trials which is another race you'll never forget and exactly. the sport is the sport is phenomenal because you put in hard work you put yourself in a position to, have to do some really cool life events these aren't just sporting events these aren't just running events these are life events you're going to remember these for the rest of your life um so it's 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 wonderful when it comes together and it works out uh, so yeah and you got that day in eugene and cause we, i just remember i was in, in vancouver we're like holy shit tony just ran like a 66 minute second <laughs> half oh my gosh what an animal uh but we were we were pretty stoked for you too i had actually i had actually kind of given up and i was like because we had a bunch of athletes right so i was like following everyone else and it's like yeah poor tony and i was like holy crap what dude cool <laughs> 218 but yeah so uh, you know a lot of people there and just everywhere were, were cheering for you and it, and it came together really really well and that was that was part of the thing too is on course i remember specific moments where the course doubled back and i saw some of the m2m athletes and they were cheering me on and then i had the friends that were there on the sidelines and the friends that were on the bikes and so there was just the entire day the entire weekend was a very um communal fun experience and and then even like you were just saying like well, that provided an opportunity for another day a lot of the same friends that were there and eugene were there in atlanta as well one mm -hmm. of them um was also taking part but then the others were there just to cheer and to, to provide that support and so i think i mean coming full circle on it again is running and these journeys for me has always been very social and very um uh, very focused on um the the friends and family that i have that are all involved in it and that and that's what really makes the experience so so much fun and and um so valuable that's wonderful man and that's that's so true uh so i think i mean those words are a great way to end this i mean obviously we could continue talk all damn day about running uh you know talk about the trials but uh thank you so much for taking the time today to you know share your story about eugene uh, it was cool because we all, we knew it was happening. We were, we were, you know, watching you go through the trainings to actually hear the nitty gritty of it. It's pretty damn cool. So thanks for taking the time, Tony. Before we sign out, do you have any last words? Uh, where can we follow you? You need a couple more Strava followers to, to beat Luke to a thousand. Luke, yep. Yeah, Luke and I um, have got a good, good little race going right now to, to try and get to a thousand Strava followers that's that's my social media platform um i'm definitely a little bit awkward when it comes to the to photos and videos and all that kind of stuff so i stay off the or i minimize the amount of facebook and instagram and all that other stuff um but strava is my way to to showcase what i'm doing and, and connect with um with yeah the people that want to hear what i'm doing Strava is by far my favorite social media platform. I don't know if it counts as social media. It's my favorite social platform. Absolutely. I, 
I, the biggest thing for me is there's something, there's always something very real attached to it, right? It's, it's the run, it's the activity that you're doing and that you can, if you have a bad run, you can't paint that any better than, um, than you actually can, right? Like uh, Instagram, you can always add a filter or something to it and <laughs> like, yeah. oh, that looks amazing, even though it really isn't. And so that's one thing that I genuinely like about, um, about Strava and the, yeah, this platform that it is. I like that. No filters for a shit run through their <laughs> next marketing campaign. <laughs> right on, man. All right. Well, again, thank you so much. Take care. And I'm sure we'll be chatting with you again sometime in the future. But for now, the tale, Tony and Eugene signing out. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for the Good opportunity. Fun.